0: I'm going to start a, uh, a new series for this early summer period. It's, uh, the title of the, the series as a well whole is Fruitfulness on the Frontline. Is this idea of what does it mean to live well for God wherever we are, at every stage of our life, whatever God is asking of us. What does it mean to live well? And there's going to be six... Um, sermons that go around this that we'll all begin with M but that idea of what does it mean to live well for God if you were to split the six up into two groups of three each it would really be two things and this would be I suppose the, the theme I'll keep coming back to God wants, to live, wants you to live a consistent life number one and number two God wants you to live a courageous life. Consistent and courageous. In some senses, it's that sort of personality, that character where people always know what what they're going to find. You know those difficult people where you're never sure what they're going to be like on any day. Some days, it's like they're all over you. And then there's other days when it's like, oh, they're so brittle and so fragile. Actually, I think what God is calling us to is a life of consistency. That something's happening within us that's being formed in us that creates this character of consistency. But also, there will be days when you need to stand up and be counted and you need to be courageous. Consistent and courageous. When you were a kid, did people used to ask you that? What do you want to be when you grow up? What did you say? A nun? nun. (laughs) How many children did you have? (laughs) (laughs) Want to be a nun? What else did you say? A fighter pilot? Okay. What else? A businesswoman? businesswoman. An actress? actress. To be in the army? To be in the army? Really? The fighting army? Not the Salvation Army? (laughs) No, the real army, all right, okay. What else? What did you say? A teacher? Don't know, don't know, still don't know. What did you say? A nurse? A shopkeeper? Really? What sort of shopkeeper? Sweet shopkeeper, yeah, fair enough. Sorry, yes, of course. Um, A sweet shopkeeper. Anything else, do you remember what you said? What what I'm hearing is just a litany of regret, really. (laughs) What did you want to be? What do you want to be? It's kind of interesting, isn't it? Because um, I was thinking about you know dedicating uh, uh, Nicole and Rob's children, and um, you know when you go to if you've if you've had children, you'll know this. When you go to parents' evening. And teachers, and some of you are teachers in the room, and and you'll have encountered this too. But sometimes, as a teacher, you want to tell parents how they're doing educationally. But as a parent, you're not really that. I mean, you are interested in that. But it's not the biggest thing. Those of you that have had children, if you were to ask, what do you want your children to be, what would you say? Happy. Happy. Fulfilled secure. Nobody, As a parent, nobody delights in going to a parents' evening where the the teachers say, do you know what? They're working at least one uh, one stage above their age group. Um, They're on for straight A's, but unfortunately, they've got no friends and no security. Nobody goes out, well, never mind about that. At least they're going to get good grades. (laughs) Nobody thinks that's a good parents' evening. Because deep down, we go, there's more to life than just achieving stuff. Deep down, we say, what we're really concerned about is the sort of person you become, not what you do. What you do is important, of course. But again, no parent goes, do you know what? I really wanted you to be a fighter pilot. Jay, such a disappointment. And that sweet shop... Oh, no parent does that. Or let me put it another way. No parent should do it. <laughs> <laughs> no parent should do it. No parent should look at what you became. You, your parents should not look at what you became and go, Oh, do you know what? bit of a disappointment. For as parents, what we know and as adults, what we know is we wanted you to be a certain type of person. Now, if you become bitter and twisted and self-centered and unable to connect with other people, if you become friendless because actually you push everybody away, then it may well be that as parents you go, oh, do you know, I, I wish it had been different for them. Because we imagined who you would be. We imagined who you would be. And it's kind of around the idea of the shape of the character that God wants for you. Sometimes, particularly perhaps when you're younger, or maybe even when you're older and you're sort of like midlife, you're asking, what does God want me to do? And you know what? God is far more concerned about who you are than actually what you do. A few weeks ago, I put on a film on Beyond Sunday about how do you know God's will for your life and if you go back and you can find it again I might post it again but essentially I thought it was brilliant because I thought what the guy was saying was this you've been created in the image of God what God really wants you to be is to be growing into the likeness of his son the rest you choose you choose don't feel that this life with God is a a tightrope that if you take a step either side, you'll fall off. Actually, this life with God is becoming about you becoming someone. At this stage of life, what are you becoming? The rest of it, you choose. But God's actually working with you to make you into a certain sort of person. Paul, when he wrote in Galatians, wrote this. Now, this, this may actually be too small for some of you to read. In which case, go to Specsavers. Galatians chapter 5, you can follow it in your Bible if you prefer. But Paul begins that chapter. And what he's doing all the way through Galatians, really, there are some people who say, if you really want to please God, what you've got to do is follow the rules. There are rules, and just follow the rules. It's the law. And what Paul is saying is, as many of you will know, Actually, the law, the rules, will not make you the person you want to be. In fact, it's kind of like the, the stereotype. When you see wet paint, sign saying, wet paint, do not touch. Am I the only person in the room? <laughs> or keep off the grass. It's like a challenge, isn't it? <laughs> oh, I just couldn't. The law, the rule, don't do that, actually works against you. But what God does is God says, I'm going to work with you. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. Don't let yourselves be um, burdened again by a yoke of slavery. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But don't use your freedom to indulge your sinful nature. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you'll be destroyed by each other. So I say... Walk by the Spirit, and you'll not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what's contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what's contrary to the sinful nature. They're in conflict with each other, so you don't do whatever you want. So in that part, what Paul's going is, he's saying there's two things going on in you. There's that, sort of, that old bit of you that keeps saying, I just want to live for me, I just want to live for myself, I just want to do things my way. Get off my back. And at the same time, the spirit is going, no, live for a bigger purpose. Live for God. Live for one another. Love other people. And the old sinful part of me goes, yeah, but if I love other people, I won't have enough for myself. And the spirit goes, no, actually, live creatively. You'd be surprised what might be possible. The fruit of the spirit Is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. Against such things, there's no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in touch, uh, sorry, let's keep in step with the Spirit. That idea that what's God doing? He's growing some stuff in you. You're changing. You're changing. Being a Christian is not just I believe this now and that's it. Being a Christian is actually I'm learning to I'm learning to walk in step with the spirit. It'll be autumn soon and warmer than it's been in June. And Strictly Come Dancing will be back on again. And then, once Strictly comes on, you know it's nearly Christmas. And another year's gone. And the thing about Strictly Come Dancing, if you watch it and if you don't watch it, you'll know what it is. Essentially, it takes people who purport not to be able to dance, put them with a professional. And in week one, what you see is the professional essentially dragging someone round the dance floor. But in week 12, or whatever it is, at the end of the series, what you see is someone who's learnt to dance in step. And it is quite remarkable then. Now, someone who is gifted with two left feet, and in an inability to have any sort of sense of rhythm, that looks incredibly appealing. I don't know what you're like at weddings at the, when, when people get on the dance floor. Are you the first up or are you the one at the back going, I can't dance, I can't dance, I can't dance. Now, some of us are the first up and we can't dance. But, but wouldn't it be great to be able to dance, properly dance? Wouldn't it be great to be able to be in step? Wouldn't it be great to flow, to hear the music and to go with it and to go with someone... And what Paul is doing here, he's saying the role of the spirit is the professional dancer who brings you onto the dance floor and goes, keep in step with me, just keep in step. Now, I know nothing about dance. I really, I mean, I know you find this difficult to believe. I know nothing about dancing except two things. Firstly, what you've got to do is allow the other person to lead you. And secondly, you've got to be able to count so you keep in rhythm. And essentially what Paul's doing is saying, come on. Let, learn, learn to flow with the Spirit. Model what God's doing. This Spirit, this Holy Spirit, the life of Jesus... And again, it's like I'm telling you stuff that is so obviously basic to Christianity, but it's worth reminding you every now and again. Being a Christian is not having to believe certain truths and having to do certain things. Being a Christian is actually opening your, your life up to the very life of God, the Spirit of God. It's much more exciting than having to believe stuff and having to do stuff. It's actually opening up the very Creator Spirit. To say, come and live in me. That breath of God, which makes us fully human. Nicole and Rob, as your children grow older, they will blame you for all sorts of things. Um, and, And they'll say it's either genetic or it's environmental. Either way, you'll get the blame. I just want to encourage you. But what Paul says is there's a third component. It's the Spirit of God that starts to remake you. And that's very important for some of us to hear. Because if it is simply genetic or environmental, some of us might think that's not good news. If your future is fixed because of the genetic, the genes that you inherited. And the way you were brought up, if that's it, that for some of us is quite bleak. But actually, if this work of the Spirit is involved, who recreates, then what might be possible? Dietrich Bonhoeffer in The Cost of Discipleship wrote this, fruit is always the miraculous, the created. It's never the result of willing, but always a growth. The fruit of the Spirit is a gift of God, and only He can produce it. They who bear it know as little about it as the tree knows of its fruit. They know only the power of Him on whom their life depends. The fruit of the Spirit is a gift of God Only he can produce it. It's kind of like those days when you would wish you were just more patient. How many of you know that just trying to be more patient actually doesn't work? You wake up going, I'm going to be more patient today. And then within about an hour, you meet those situations where you go, well, that's just the devil. Or if you wanted to be more joyful, half an hour in, you find a reason to lose all the joy. And just trying harder isn't, isn't possible to bring the change that you'd love to see. But actually, what Bonhoeffer is saying is that this fruit grows within you. It's the Spirit. For if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. The old things have passed away. Everything has become new. So wherever you find yourself, family, in home, neighbours, friendship groups, or at work, what does it mean to be these creative people who don't act the way everybody expects? What does it mean to be these people full of the Spirit? Well, He talks about those nine characteristics and he puts them, I would suggest, they group in threes. Love, joy, peace kind of group together. Patience, kindness, and goodness groups together. Faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control can group together. The Spirit gives you the materials for you to be creative in the moment, aware of God's presence, Aware of other people. Love, joy, peace. They come from God. I just want to say some really obvious stuff. You are loved by God unconditionally. You were loved by God when you were lost in your sin. And he loved you as much then as he loves you now. And on those great days when we think we're doing fantastic work as Christians, he doesn't love you more. And on those days when you think I'm probably the worst Christian in the whole world, he doesn't love you less. It is so obvious, and you've heard it a million times, but the grace of the love of God, he loves you when you've messed up royally, when you've really made a mess of it, and you're ashamed to own up to what you did. He loves you as much in the midst of that as he loved you when you thought you were doing great. His love is absolutely unconditional. And some of us struggle because we don't think we're worth it. I know it's like, this is sort of like Christianity 101, isn't it? But you keep on needing to reapply it. These people that Paul wrote Galatians to, they believed this once upon a time, and then they've been Christians for a while. And someone had said, well, it's okay to accept that God loves you. But to be honest, you can't just keep thinking that. You've got to, got to do better for him to really love you. Otherwise, looks like you're not trying. And Paul goes, no, that's the point. You're loved. And the joy... That's also a gift of God. It's not dependent on your circumstances. It's the joy that comes from being in the presence of God. And it sounds cliched if you're not careful. and It's difficult to find language for it that doesn't sound just sort of hackneyed and trite. But it is that sense of... Well, this is what I'm trying to say. You know, when when you're going through a hard time and other people tell you, God's in control, you want to punch them sometimes, don't you? You really do want to punch them because it sounds too easy. But you know, when you're in the midst of that situation yourself and suddenly it comes to you, God's in control, then that becomes, right, I'm okay. And that's the joy. The joy that breaks in. The joy... That you weren't looking for, but the joy that almost takes you by surprise, the joy that overtakes you, and peace—that sense of things being okay—it's common. It's like this week. It wouldn't be bad if every morning before the day begins, or as the day begins, wherever you're going. God, I need three things today. (laughs) I need to know I'm loved. I need joy. And I need peace. Would you give me those gifts? What would happen? What would your day begin to look like if those things were true? And then the fruit offered to other people. Now patience becomes a little bit more possible. Patience essentially is where you say to someone else, I'm not rushing you to the end of an outcome here. Patience essentially slows down enough to say, I'm taking you seriously. Patience says, my urgency is not the only thing that's important here. Patience is where you are willing to slow. Patience and kindness, where you're relaxed and generous. Lots of people are just, Dying for a sort of a a smidgen of kindness. And then goodness. Where you're confident in Genesis 1 and 2. Where the goodness of creation. Not that everything's always bad. But actually patience, kindness and goodness. Just living that out amongst the people you're with. What would that look like in your context? And then finally faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Worked out over time, isn't it? That faithfulness where you just make loyal commitments and you keep them over the long haul. Where you keep faith with people. Where you're gentle. And gentleness doesn't mean softness in that sort of, you know, sort of wetness, that sort of, you know, I haven't got a backbone. Gentleness is, I don't need to get my own way. Gentleness is, I can actually pause. And self-control, perhaps two things. Firstly, don't say everything that's in your head. Self-control, don't say everything that's in your head. Not everything that comes to mind is worth coming out. Just because you're thinking something doesn't make it right. Just because you're thinking it doesn't mean to say it. Anybody else needs to hear it. Self-control says, hang on a minute, is this going to help? Is this going to build someone up? You can't stop the thought coming, but you can stop it coming out. And for those of you's, us who are more prone to let our mouth run away, if we get self-control, we'll have to say sorry less often. But self-control is also working out what have you got and how you're going to use it. You're in control of yourself. The gifts that God gives, the gifts that are offered to other people, the gifts that are proven over time, this is the person that God wants you to be. Modeling godly character. You want your children to be like this. Those of you who've got little ones. So model it. Model it. You want your families to be like this. So model it. Be the one that is able to reach out differently. You want your workplace to be like this. And as difficult as it might be in a workplace, model it, for this is what it means to be fully human. This is the fruit that makes all the difference. This is the life of God being lived out. That's the life that God would want for us. Finally, Dallas Willard said this, most important thing about a man is not what he does, Who he becomes. At the end of the day, God may well want to know, well, what did you do with the gifts I gave you? But at the end of the day, it'll be about the person that we became. It'll be about these sorts of characteristics in our lives. And I don't know about you, but you kind of look at those and you go, I don't know if there's any of us in the room that go, do you know what? Got this sorted. Got this sorted? None of us. And the answer? Not try harder. The answer is can you be open to the Spirit? To this life of God that might flow through you? Why don't you. turn to the person next to you and say, the one thing he said that was worth listening to was this. Or the one thought I had, which was better than he said, (laughs) was this. What's the one thing that you thought or that you heard? And if you're not sure, because you weren't listening that hard, that's okay. All you do is you say to the person, you go first. and, And then you piggyback on whatever they said. Oh, I thought that too. Um... What was the one thing that you kind of go, "Do you know what? That's worth thinking about. That's worth holding on to. That's the challenge. Emmanuel started, the rest of you can follow. As the van as the comes back, why don't we just take a moment just to... What were you saying? Or what was the other person saying? What were you? What were you saying? Yeah, Janet. Hang on. We'll let you speak into the microphone. Yeah.
1: I think the overtime yeah. is the one for me. But even though I'm really old, I've still got time. Yeah.
0: <laughs> really old, but still time to change. Well, that's what we're hoping, Janet, that's the... <laughs> Someone else, what were you... Yeah, Matt, Well, will just... What are you thinking? considering the dedication that we had this morning um, kids are the ones where you need the most self-control <laughs> yeah true. it is true I mean and, you know they'll, they'll, they'll pull you they'll push you sometimes to the edge of that, yes, on that
1: subject, It won't be with you forever my mum said to me self-control <laughs> she said to me I need to get more self-control. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> Shelley, I think you may have misunderstood what the exercise was. <laughs> Rather than just re-preaching it to someone else very specifically. Yeah, just in case you'd miss the conviction of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> My mum's out. <laughs> She's, right, She's right. Someone else, what are you thinking? What do you say? Yeah, it's anita. It's not about trying harder or trying to please God. It's just about surrendering to the Holy Spirit. So he works it from the inside out. This trying harder bit. Again, Dallas Willard, the guy I quoted at the end. He he explained it like this in the Christian life. He said, imagine, uh, and some of you have heard me use this before. But imagine that um, someone said to you, tomorrow I want you to run a marathon. All right? So just imagine yourself in the state you're in right now and tomorrow morning you would have to run a marathon. All right, okay. And if you try hard, I'm sure you'll be able to do it, you'd go, you're, you're nuts. You'd do a mile, possibly, and then it'd be like, well, and someone getting alongside you, just try harder, you'd go, this isn't helping. If you want to do a marathon, I talk to Glyn about this, if you want to do a marathon, you can't do it tomorrow, but you can in 12 weeks, if you train tomorrow. So it's not a tri- trying hard, it's actually about training yourself. Which is why those, con- those sort of qualities really, are tested. It's why it's tested, because actually it's about training. In righteousness and godliness. So I think the the try hard bit is open to the Spirit and then training, putting it into practice, but not trying harder just. So I thought that was a, I, I found that a really helpful analogy. Someone else, what were you saying? Just one or two more, and then we'll we'll move forward with the service. Model it. Model it. If you want, your kids believe what you show them. Show, don't tell. Model it at work. Last one.
1: Our sister-in-law had um, (laughs) ME for many years and she was ill with that for about three years. And I remember her saying when she was starting to feel better later on that the Lord taught her something really important that actually while she was on the settee and couldn't do anything and couldn't achieve anything in life at all because she was so ill that he loved her just as much during those years when she was just on the couch as he did. Now she goes around the world and does preaching and all kinds of things abroad. She goes to India and Africa. Now she's well. Um, but that was very profound, I thought, and I, I kind of remember that whenever I feel like I'm not being productive or I'm not doing the things that I think maybe I should or you know could do for God and just think... Do you know what? It's not about doing things, like Neil said. It's about being, and about keeping our eyes on the One who uh, who can give us that gift of the Holy Spirit. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we're gonna.